As we come to the text this morning, let me just throw out a basic question I think all of us will understand. Does, does someone's reputation or, or perception match reality? Does reputation or perception match reality? It's, it's not a wild question. In fact, if, since we are thoroughly in the midst of college football, uh, college football is a perfect example. How many teams, the rankings come out and you go, that's not a top 10 team, but they have a reputation. How many teams, and listen, and I'm not trying to make any Aggie or Longhorn jokes today at all, I promise I'm not. What I am is I am a, I am a grown man who once grew up as a child in Aggieland whose little boy heart was crushed every year by the perception of it's finally our year, and then reality sets in. We get, there out. We, we get the idea. There is perception. There is a reputation that, that judgments are made off of, and then there is reality. How does that come into play for us as a church? Is what we're known for, what we're perceived as, does that match who we really are? For us as individual believers, is what we're known for, is what I'm lauded as, is the perception of myself as a follower of Christ in line with the reality of Jesus's all-knowing eyes. It's a question we have to answer as we follow the Lord, and I invite you to turn with me, church family, back to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We're just over halfway through the seven letters to the seven churches, and, and this week we arrive at the letter to the church in Sardis. So join with me, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 1. To the angel or to the messenger of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but I know you are dead. Now, just pause there with me for a moment. Here, here you can imagine this, this church in Sardis, Sardis, a, a legendary city of antiquity. You see, Sardis was the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. Uh, it, it stood as one of the great cities of ancient history. In fact, the Greeks called Sardis the greatest city in the world. Now, a large part of that was because the city of Sardis set 45 miles to the east of Smyrna. We've seen Smyrna. This is the second of the seven letters. It sits 45 miles to the east in a, in a river valley. But where it sits in that river valley, the city of Sardis would sprawl in that valley, but there is a 1,500-foot-high uh, rocky ridge with steep slopes on all sides. And atop that ridge stood the citadel or the Acropolis, and, 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 and from a military standpoint, the city of Sardis, due to the location of the citadel, was unconquerable. It had a reputation for being a, a military power because it was unable to be defeated. Not only that, but I mentioned it's a legendary city, you see, because Sardis set on the Pactolus River. Now, you might not know much about the Pactolus River, but that river was packed with gold dust. Not only do you have the natural resource of water running through your city, but it's packed with the most valuable metal for any kingdom. 
They were a wealthy city. In fact, if you, many of you familiar with the, the legend of King Midas? The Midas touch, turn everything to gold? Do you know where King Midas in the legend goes to wash himself to remove that gift? The Pactolus River which was their legend for how all the gold dust got there. So here you have in Sardis this legendary city of history known for its wealth, known for its strength, its power. And in the midst of this city, you have a church, and the church gets this letter one day. It's, it's making the way around. They get this letter from the Apostle John, and John writes and says, uh, here, here's, here's what Jesus says to the messenger of the church, the one who has the seven spirits of God. You'll remember from chapter one, we saw the seven spirits of God. That's a reference built on the Old Testament from Isaiah and Zechariah. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The seven stars are the seven angels or the seven messengers of the church. Here's what he says, Jesus the one who has, has perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit, the, the giver and, and bringer of life, Jesus who, who has a right relationship with the Holy Spirit and the one who has ownership, lordship over the seven stars, the seven angels or messengers, depending on how we want to understand, he, he is speaking and here's what he says, church. He says, I know your deeds. I know the ministry, I know your activity, I see you as you are busy and engaging and doing ministry, I see your deeds. And I know your name, your reputation, your perception. I know, I know what others see and, and when they see you, what they think of, I know what you think of yourself. You have a reputation, there is a perception that you are a living, vibrant church. And you can just imagine sitting there as this was read off by the pastor. And you can imagine maybe some of those people in Sardis going, that's right, that's right. We're not like Ephesus. They've held firm to truth, but they lost their love. We're not like Smyrna. Smyrna is suffering deeply, and we're, we're sure not like Thyatira or Pergamum who are struggling with false doctrine. We, 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 we're alive, man. We're a healthy, vibrant church. I know your deeds. I know your reputation for life, but I who possess perfect knowledge know you are dead. Can you imagine the shock? At that moment, a people who perceive, who, who look around at, at, at their church, who look around at their ministry, who perceive that they're vibrant, a church that's, that's active, that has size, money, ministries that people notice, a church that believes their fellowship is alive, that sees herself as healthy and successful, who certainly from her past, you don't get a reputation without a past, and somewhere along the way there was a genuineness, this, this church who sees themselves and is known for one thing, are now told by their Lord, Savior, and King, you are dead. The words would have been piercing, church family. It would have been all the more piercing for Sardis because remember what I told you. The city of Sardis had a reputation for being unconquerable. Yet it's very well known that at least two times in their history, they were conquered in that citadel because of the overconfidence, the lack of vigilance, by the part of 
the Sardians to actually watch and defend. And so, what the city of Sardis is in fact known for is a reputation for one thing when the reality is due to their overconfidence, pride, and, and lack of vigilance, they were routinely conquered. And here's what he says, you, you've, you've got a reputation, you've got a perception that you are one thing, but I see you are something quite different. You are dead. Far from possessing a radical faith, their faith was invisible. Face, do you notice there's, there's nothing so far about any challenge they, they face? In fact, as we read through the rest of the letter, they face no challenges. Faced with comfort and ease, they are dead. Now, let me clarify something for us. When, when he says you are dead, normally, if, if we're used to the language of Scripture, when we hear dead, we rightly associate dead with being dead in my trespasses and sins. Dead is referring to those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, who have not been saved by grace through faith. That's not the context here. Here he's not talking to a group of people that think they're a church but really are lost. He's talking to a church. One, he says, right to the church. And unlike in many of our minds, church, when you read that term in Scripture, church does not include lost people in it. You can only be a part of the church in Scripture if you are saved by grace through faith. Not only that, but look with me. He says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. What have they received and heard? They've received the gospel message. What are the works they are to do? Well, Ephesians chapter, chapter 2 tells us, for by grace, through faith, we are saved, not as a result of works, but is the free gift of God, so no person can boast. And then we often forget verse 10, which says, therefore, we are God's workmanship, His artistic masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works He prepared beforehand for us. Let's be clear. What it says is, you and I are not made right with Jesus by any works of our own. But what is clear is when by the grace of God, you and I respond in repentance and faith, saying, Jesus, I am without you. Jesus, I am by nature a sinner. Jesus, I deserve death, and you paid the price for me, and I am asking who you are on the basis of who you are and what you've done to save me, to restore me, to reconcile me to God. When that happens, that is sheerly by His grace. His good, undeserved, can never be earned in all of eternity favor. But when you and I experience that salvation, here's what it says, we are recreated, we are made a, an artistic masterpiece of God, and that we have been recreated, we have been saved by grace, not by works, to live out of that salvation a life that fulfills the works Jesus has prepared for us. He says, I found your works incomplete. Here's, here's what I'm saying, a long way of saying, he's not writing to lost people, church family. He's writing to believers who are really saved but are living as though dead. We find Jesus' evaluation. You've evaluated yourselves alive. I've evaluated that you're dead. Not only that, not only are you dead, but, but he's found them to be failures. 
I found your deeds are not complete in the sight of my God. I, I know the purpose and plans that, that God has laid out for you as a church, for you as individual believers, and here's what I found. It's incomplete, and you're not taking any more steps to fulfilling it. I, I see you're, you're failing. Not only are you failing, you're unprepared. He says, drop down, look at the last part of verse three. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come. I'm gonna come visit you. And the way that you are right now, you are unprepared for me to show up. And so when I show up, it's not going to bode well for you. He says, I know that you're dead. I know that you're failing. And I see that you are thoroughly unprepared. Now let's pause for a second before we go further, church family, because all of a sudden we've now been confronted with three key truths right off the bat. One, and I've already mentioned it, but it needs mentioning again. Jesus saves us by grace through faith, but He does not save us so we can simply sit around freed of the weight of sin and pursue our purposes for life. Jesus doesn't just save us from sin and death. He saves us from sin and death because the whole purpose of salvation is to restore and reconcile us to God to our creator, to our maker, to the author of life, to the one who actually has a real plan and a real purpose for all of us as individuals to live out this side of heaven and not just for us as individuals. God has a real plan and purpose for my life, me, Wes Wilkinson. God has a plan and purpose for your life, fill in your name in that blank. But God also has a plan and a purpose, tangible plans and purposes for First Baptist Church Pflugerville. He has plans and purposes for us as individuals and for us as a church. And we're not saved and joined together as a congregation so we can create a country club of our preferences and programs. We're saved so that we can know Jesus rightly and truly, to love Him fully and to follow Him faithfully as we shine the light of the world into a world that is dead Amen. and in desperate need of salvation, just as we once were. So we need to understand, church family, God, God has, if we're in Christ, He saved us by grace through faith. He has laid out works we are to do. He calls us. God is evaluating our church. Jesus is evaluating First Baptist Church Pflugerville, and He is looking, are we walking the path that He has carved out for us? It's truth one. God saves us, not from works, but by grace. But when He saves us, He lays out plans and purposes that He calls us to follow Him on. Works laid out beforehand in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10. Now, here's truth number two. It is possible as a believer or as a church to possess a reputation and to have a perception that we are wonderful, vibrant, healthy, living believers, but actually be dead. and understand the terror of that statement. Sardis is dead, and they don't know it. When you and I as a believer 
truly saved by grace through faith, but somewhere along the way, we have ceased walking in the life of the Holy Spirit. We have ceased pursuing Jesus. Something has happened. It can be of a variety of natures. We'll see in a moment. But, but all of a sudden, we are walking dead, and you know the terrifying reality? We don't even know it. And you say, well, if we can be dead, well, let me back up. Let's contrast. What does Scripture describe the church as? A living body, the body of Christ, made up of many individual parts, all of which are supposed to serve and, and work and, and labor, and they, they labor in the unity and, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It says that that body is to be continually growing, changing, changing into maturity under the headship of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, that there is this this, that, that, that the, the image of the church is a, a body whose, all of whose parts are working correctly and purposefully in the submission and unity and fellowship of Jesus Christ. If that's what we're supposed to be, a body that is all about the worship of Jesus, a body that is willing and ready to respond in unity to whatever the head directs, however he directs, where he directs, when he directs, how he directs, a, a body that is completely and totally about Jesus. Well, what does a dead church look like? It can look a lot of different ways. A dead church is a church where instead of the worship of Jesus, there's the worship of preference. When the church refuses to adapt to meet the changing needs of the ever-changing community around it, where the, the focus of the budget is all inward, where there's more passion for what kind of music and lighting and pre-church beverages are offered than there is for Jesus. There can be a worship of nostalgia. Listen, truth never changes. Jesus does not change. The song we may sing about the unchanging truth may change, and it's okay. The time we come together to worship Jesus could change, and it's okay. We can call it Sunday school, we can call it small group, we can call it grow group, we can call it life group, we can call it whatever, the name may need to change, may not need to change, and we can all have an opinion on it. But we cannot worship our opinion, and we cannot worship the nostalgia of the past. There's a temptation to. We won't change because everything would be perfect if we just returned to the glory days. The past is the, both the hero and the solution. There's a worship of facilities. This is our building. This building has to be used this way. There's a worship of, call it ambiguity. What do you mean by ambiguity? Well, has the church lost sight of its purpose, its mission, the mission of God, as defined by God in Scriptures? Has the great commission become the great omission in the life of the church? I uh, saw so an R. When does my church need revival? when it's plagued with disagreements, when the preaching is ineffective, when few people remember the last time a person was saved, when God's supernatural power is no longer seen, when God is not praised regularly. If this is what a dead church looks like in, 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 in contrast to a living body that is moving in unity and fellowship that is completely and totally caught up in, in the worship of Jesus, the one who is the head. If, if this is the contrast, how do we get there? How do, we, how do we go from a living body? At one point, Sardis, you don't get a reputation for life if there wasn't ever life. But at some point, that life went from life to decay. How do you get there? 
We get there when we make it all about us, our ways, our traditions, our expressions, our ministry. We get there when we forget it's all about Jesus, His will, His ways, His mission, His glory. You see, church family, we need to understand Jesus didn't save us by our works. He saved us by His grace, but He did save us to walk in the works He's laid out for us. We need to understand it's possible to think we're walking out those works but be dead. But there's a third truth to understand, church family. It's this. Jesus loves to resurrect His church. You catch that look in the text. He says, I know your deeds. I know your reputation. I know you're dead. And do you notice the next words aren't, so just finish dying off. I'm done with you. No, Paul's really clear to Timothy that when we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look what Jesus says. He says, wake up. Live as someone awake. Be alert. Pay attention. Strengthen, establish, confirm the things which remain, which are about to die. He says, there's still a little bit of life amongst you. The situation is is critical, but death isn't imminent. Why? Because this is Jesus' church. It's Jesus' body. He is life. And there is no amount of decay and death a church can walk in that he, he can't and won't resurrect. He says, wake up and strengthen. I've I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God, which is a stinging indictment, but it's also an invitation. There's a chance to complete it. I'm calling you. So how are they to respond? Look, Look at what he offers. He offers restoration. So remember what you have received and heard. Remember the gospel message. Remember that you who are by nature born sinful in rebellion against God, you who by nature has made it all about you, have a chance to be saved because God for whom, to whom it is all about so loved this world down to the very individual person that He sent His one and only unique Son, not because we loved Him, not because we asked Him, in fact, quite the opposite, but out of His sheer goodness and grace, He sent the one and only unique Son, the one who was fully God and fully man and fully man without sin, who lived the life with God in this world you and I have failed to live, who went to the cross and paid the price we deserve to pay, who died a real death willingly for the joy set before Him, and who rose victoriously out of that grave who ascended into heaven, who offers salvation to any man, woman, boy, or girl who would respond, whose glory is beyond what we can imagine, and who is coming back to set all things right. It says, remember what you've seen and heard. Remember the glory of God, the person of God, the mission of God. Remember the gospel. Remember it. Not just remember one time, but it's a present tense command, meaning live in a way where you are constantly bearing the weight of the gospel in your mind. But don't just live where you're constantly keeping in front of you. He says, keep it, observe it, guard it, protect it. Make sure that you're actually carrying it out by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Live it out and repent. Acknowledge that you are, in fact, walking in a way of death, that you are not walking alive with me. Turn back To me, acknowledge that I am right, you are wrong, and and be restored in fellowship with Jesus. You see, here's the great truth. 
church family. We can be critically dead, but not terminally dead. And there is hope for any one of us in this room, individually or corporately. If we have, in fact, come to faith in Christ, but somewhere along the way, death has crept in, there is hope today because Jesus is a God who loves to restore. Amen. We'll say, Pastor, well, then how do we how do we respond? How do we respond in light of the fact that, that Jesus' evaluation can, can, and warning, how, how do we respond to that? How do we find that restoration? Well, we just mentioned it. It's right there. First, we wake up. He says, wake up. Wake up and tune into reality. Stop sleeping in your ignorant dreams and nostalgic memories of life. Wake up. Wake up. See it. Wake up and see, as an individual believer, you can live your life on reputation, and reputation does not equal loving relationship with Jesus. You can be a Sunday school teacher who's known for being the best Sunday school teacher in the church, but who, in whose personal life there is no personal fellowship to Jesus, with Jesus. You can be have a reputation in the church, man, who's the go-to servant? Oh, we can ask, we can ask so-and-so, they will step up and serve anybody. Never mind that behind the scenes, they won't serve anyone in their own family. They treat their spouse like trash and their children are neglected. Or we can, that person, that's just such a loving, great person. And behind the scenes, there is just sin entrenched everywhere in life and it's hiding in secret, and that person just continues to hide rather than coming forward, not for shame, but coming forward to find encouragement and accountability and restoration and a chilling church to walk alongside. It can manifest as a believer who knows all sorts of Scripture but has no heart for evangelism. It can come off as a student living off the reputation of their parents' faith but not actually walking with Jesus on their own. Got to wake up. There's lots of ways we can be dead Christians. There's ways we can be dead churches. We can say we, we have a perception of life. We do lots of ministry, but the reality is we ignore what all the Word really says. That's one way a, a church can be a dead church. Primarily in the text, the text's focus is not on theological or or scriptural compromise, moral compromise. The focus of, of the text here says you have a name. You, you've got a past where there were some good, genuine things, works of God, but you're living on that past and not walking with Jesus in the present. And listen, I don't care if you're a traditional or a contemporary church. It goes both ways. Oh, we're a great church. We've got the best choir program. We've got the best Christmas concert. Our Sunday school is second to none. We still do door-to-door -door evangelism and visitation. And you better believe we worship in God's seats, pews. That'd be the traditional church. You can be the contemporary church. Oh, man, we've got the best praise band. When you come in and worship, it's, it's full three-dimensional sensory experience. We've got God's seats, theater chairs. Sunday school, that's old school. We've got cutting-edge, trendy, hip, small groups. 
I, I, can, I can describe to you what every different style of church can rest on in terms of their reputation. But understand, church family, reputation does not equal today's love. Now, the irony is life is found if there's a danger to live on yesterday's love. Yesterday's, if, the, if my perception, it was built on yesterday's reputation, here, and, and, and so therefore there's no willingness to, to move and follow. Here, here's the irony of that stillness. Life is found in movement and change, not in stillness. Uh, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I went out, was playing football with some of the students, went out for a past and uh, jumped uh, a little awkwardly, and, and instead of coming down, I somehow couldn't get my body turned, and I came down on my shoulder. And that's the first time I've ever heard, I've ever fallen, and proceeded to hear in my body, and I went, I don't know what that is. I've never broken a bone. What could that be? Well, what it was is it was my tendons tearing, and I separated my shoulder. And so as I proceeded to get treatment, I went to the doctor and the doctor said, all right, you've got a grade two separation. Here's, here's, here's the deal with that. The good news is you don't need surgery. The bad news is it's the most painful of all three grades. And here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna wear this, swing, this sling for three months. Don't use your arm, three months in the sling. And then after that, we'll start some minor. And basically he gave me a plan or my arm would be pretty immobile for six months and maybe a year from then I would start to recover my strength. I thought, that just seems a little strange. So I got a second opinion. And the second opinion was very different. Second opinion looked at me and said, well, you can do that. I said, but or you could allow it some movement until it hurts. So, so move it some, and if it hurts, stop moving it and slowly build the strength back. And that's who looked at me and said, he goes, do you know the only time you just keep something completely and totally still, you don't move it, you don't change it, you do nothing? That's when you're dead. Life is in movement. Church family, life is not found living in the nostalgia of the past. And listen, as your pastor, there is no person in this world who is nostalgic as I am, I promise you. I get nostalgic about all sorts of things. We can love the past. We can have our preferences, but we cannot worship the things of the past in our preferences says we must wake up, realize it's possible to be this way, see, see, these, see these examples. He says this, you need, to, you need to strengthen, you need to find biblically those, those things in your life which line up with Scripture. If, if you're walking down a path where you say, I, you know, I've got a reputation, but I just find in my heart there just is, there just is some deadness between the Lord. Okay, is there, are there things in your life, are there things in our life as a church that, that line up with Scripture, and if so, he says, strengthen, confirm, set them, strengthen them, make them resolved. If there are, then we take those things which are true. They may even just be small, and we, we resolve with the determination. We, we, we're remembering. It says, remember what you have received and heard. Church family, remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Remember it's all about him and not us. Remember following him is about daily loving him fully. Remember, as we love him, we serve, we give, we follow him where he leads. And some days he may take us up the more traditional path. And some days he may take us down what looks like no path. Our job's not to pick which path is our favorite. Our job is to lovingly follow him. 
because He is our Lord. He is our King. We live remembering that He is the one who in the garden sweat drops of blood at the weight of my sin. And he did it for the joy set before him. He endured being beaten beyond recognition and bearing eternal hell on the cross for the joy set before him. It is all about him. It is not about me. And we must remember that. We must keep, observe. as As we remember who he is and what he's done, we set our gaze to make sure what Scripture says is being lived out and kept in our life. We, we, we take up the work He's called us to do. And we're not called to do something great for God, church family. We're just called to love Him fully and vibrantly and to labor where He leads. He says we must repent. Listen, the heart of this is if we examine ourselves as an individual or as a church, and we go, wow, we, we, I, think, I think we've got a false perception. We, we seem to think we're alive. I seem to think I'm alive, Pastor, but I find that there's some deadness in my heart. Here's what he says. He says, ultimately, the starting point is repent. It's not do better. It's not try harder. It's repent. Acknowledge you're in the wrong. Fall to a place of, to fall into a place of dying is to fall into a place of sin. Listen, whatever sin I'm living in, It has to be repented out of, not just, well, time will heal all sin. Now understand, talking to Sardis, living on the nostalgia of the glory days gone by, he says it's sin. Look look, look at what he says in verse 4. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Soiled their garments, that's that's a pretty striking statement. If you're real eagle-eyed, you'll notice I soiled my garments in my office an hour ago, brushing my teeth. And the gob dropped on my shirt, and I went, and this is why pastors used to keep an extra shirt in their office. He says, listen, if you live in the, 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 the glory, the nostalgia of the glory, if you are worshiping the nostalgia of past, if you are worshiping your reputation and not your Savior, it is soiling your garments. It is sinful. You need to repent and hear the great news today, church family, that to the believer that is walking in the ways of death, there is an opportunity to repent to a Jesus who loves to resurrect and restore us to right fellowship with himself. And we should desire His restoration because we desire his, ultimately His recognition and His reward. Look what He says. He says, but you do have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their garments. There, there are a small group of people who've not soiled their garments, who've not, who've not given in to worshiping other things, and in whose hearts death has not crept. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Jesus recognizes, I see the master's minority. I see that remnant. I see those of you who are still walking in in pure-hearted, true love for me, who are seeking to worship me, to carry out the works I have called you to by the sufficiency of my grace through the power of the Holy Spirit living within. He says, I see you. And then he says to the one who overcomes, they will be clothed in white garments, garments of 
holiness and purity, righteousness, that of Jesus, garments that mean we have perfect fellowship and communion with God, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Now, when you read that, it's not a negative threat as if, if you don't overcome, I'm going to erase what it is. It's a, po- it's a positive affirmation under no circumstances. Sardis, you fight hard. You acknowledge that there's death in your heart. You, you, you walk with me. You walk whatever path may come, high, low, good, bad, good, hard days, easy days. You walk in and understand there's no way that your name will be written out of the book of life. And this is important. You see, in Sardis, Sardis was well known as a Jewish settlement. And around this time, the Jews had finally figured out a way. A lot, many of the Christians would still come to the synagogue and, and worship. And the, and the Jews figured out a way to get rid of them all. It was called the Curse of Menem. And in that curse, what they did is they took the names of all of those who worshiped in the synagogue but were Christians, and they blotted them out. Let me put it to you this way. I, I grew up at A&M, and, and if you know A&M, you know that it's a big deal to be an alumni of A&M. Now imagine if you're an alumni of A&M, you go back, and all of a sudden A&M goes, you know what? You may have that ring, you may have that diploma, but in our records, you are no more. That's, that's the idea. He says, listen, you overcome, you walk with me. There is a book of life, a book that's far greater than the alumni role of Texas A&M or the, the list of families who worship in the synagogue. There, there is a book of life and your name is written in it and I am assuring you it will never be blotted out. And it is your ticket into eternity with me. And not only that, but I will confess your name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, hear what the Spirit is still saying this day to the churches, that means us, First Baptist Church, Pflugerville. Church family, the reality is Jesus does evaluate us as a church and every one of us as individual believers. His evaluation is not one of some stingy, uh, heartless professor, but one of a loving, merciful, gracious Savior who desires his people walk not in death, but in his life, who fulfill the works he's laid out so that we would know his reward when he returns. And so, church family, here's the reality. What is his evaluation of of us today? Are there any of us who might have fallen into some level of death and decay in our hearts? If so, today's the day to wake up, church family. Today's the day to wake up. Today's the day to strengthen that which remains, to to set with firm determination, to remember who he is and what he's done, and, and to make sure we are carefully walking out the loving worship and following of Jesus, both individually and corporately. You see, here's the reality, church family. Today, we don't As our world changes, all of us are going to have things we we long for, things we remember about the way things were. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand something, church family, the glory days are not behind us. We do not long and labor and worship for the return of the glory days. No, we long and we labor and we worship for the glory day when He returns. 
We don't look back to the glory days. If we're a living church, we look forward to the glory days forever. So church family, will we heed the word of Jesus today or will we just let it go in one ear and out the other? Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. Lord, this church, this congregation does not exist for any one of our pleasure or preference. We exist for your glory, delight, and joy. You have saved those of us who are here by grace through faith, if in fact we've responded to you, not so we can pursue the life of our dreams, but so our dreams can be transformed by you who lives within us to pursue the life you have made us and purposed us for. That's true individually and that's true corporately. And so, Father, I do pray. Well, there's a lot we have to celebrate. We just celebrated 50 years. There's many wonderful ministries, many wonderful memories of ways you've moved, God, and we treasure those. But when we never for a second begin to worship our legacy, it is about you. And may we be a church and a people who until you call us home or you return, whichever is first, who are a people who don't have a reputation for being alive, but in reality are living with the abundance of your life, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, as you move in this place, you find us faithful to respond. It's to you we look, Jesus, and to you we praise. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.